This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Of all the new initiatives introduced in recent years by Racing New South Wales, none have been more widely acclaimed than the weekly TAB Highway races. Introduced four years ago, the TAB Highways have proven to be a tremendous stimulus for country racing stables as new owners constantly look for the right horses to bring to town. At first, trainers like Matt Dunn, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the highways, but nowadays the results prove that many and varied stables have learned to identify the kind of horse they need to travel down the highway. $75,000 in prize money and an assortment of race distances are making these races highly competitive and stimulating healthy betting trends. The TAB highways are a big part of the new world of Sydney racing. Corey Brown was in very good spirits when he arrived at Eagle Farm Racecourse on Queensland Derby Day last year. He'd ridden three winners at the Wingham Cup meeting at Taree the day before and had just come off a very good Sydney Autumn Carnival. He was having his fourth ride for the day when he went out for the Derby on a New Zealand gelding called Lord Arthur, trained by the Murray Baker-Andrew Forsman partnership. A few minutes later... He was racing tight between horses at the 300 metres mark when there was a shift inwards from one horse and a shift outwards from another. Lord Arthur simply had nowhere to put his feet and crashed very heavily. The gelding sustained a fracture to a hind leg in the accident and had to be euthanised. Corey Brown suffered severe damage to the T7 vertebra requiring the insertion of two plates and eight screws, and as if that wasn't enough, he also sustained a fractured sternum and a punctured lung. The initial prognosis was 12 months out of the saddle, but last month Corey received the news that one of the screws had moved slightly and that the spinal injury was taking longer to heal than expected. The champion jockey moves into the new year with uncertainty and a great deal of frustration. Here is a bloke who's been race riding for 29 years, accumulating close to 3,000 winners and more than 50 Group 1s in Australia, including two Melbourne Cups. Corey's been kind enough to join us on the podcast. Appreciate your time, Cor. No problem, Taffy. How are you? Good, thanks, mate. You've been to the Magic Millions meeting. You spent a few days up there. And uh, what an amazing day on Saturday with the... Uh, the float debacle on the freeway involving alligator blood and other horses, and then the uh, the big hold up at the barrier. Yeah, it was fascinating, actually, John. Um, they done the right thing by delaying the race uh, by one race to make sure that alligator blood got there on time and um, made sure he was in good condition to um to obviously to to start in the race. But um, but yeah, it was a chain of events, but um, it worked out actually really really well for the connections. He's an exciting prospect, Corey, alligator blood. I think he's a very, very smart horse, even under the circumstances of what happened on the weekend. Um, I just think that he um, he dealt with it very, very well. Um, he didn't look great. He was sweating up quite noticeably compared to a lot of the other horses that are in the field. But um, I just thought that he dealt with the circumstances well, even after getting to the barriers when the horse got loose. Mm. Um, 
he, he sort of, yeah, he handled himself well, but I think he's in with a very, very good, bright future. How do you handle being a spectator? Uh, on those days, very frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, yeah no, it's, look, it's, it is what it is, but, um, but yeah, and it's, it's very frustrating. You'd had a terrific Sydney Autumn Carnival. You won the Tullock Stakes and the Australian Derby on Angel of Truth. You won the Emancipation Stakes on Invincible Gem. You won a listed race at Randwick on Fasica. And then the Group 3 Hawkesbury Cup on Arcademus. You wouldn't believe you could have a run like that and then a few weeks later be in all sorts of trouble. Yeah, no, it's, it's very disappointing. Like I, I thought it took me a long while to get well, not actually a long while. When I got back from Singapore probably two and a half years ago, it sort of it not took me a while to hit me straps, but I'd done really, really well. And then I went through a bit of a low period for about probably six or seven months, not riding the winners that I wanted to, but mm. or getting the opportunities that I wanted to. But then the Sydney car will come about and I won the derby. And yeah. It just seemed to all be snowballing and starting to take again. Do you have a clear recollection of that fall in the derby? Yeah, I do actually. I've, I've <laughs> vividly actually. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I know exactly what happened. I wasn't knocked out or anything like that. But yeah, I've I've, I've obviously viewed it many times on video. Yeah. Um, but you yeah, know, I've I've got a, not a good memory. I've got I've got definitely got the memory though. Yeah, for sure. I know exactly yeah. what happened. Well, you hit the ground and then you appeared to bounce and hit the ground a second time. And I I think you believe you did most of the damage. On the second bounce, yeah, well, I was actually a bit um, when sitting in hospital in Brisbane before I was operated on, and after I was operated on, I kept watching the replay, thinking how how I've actually broken my back, and I didn't realise. I thought the horse behind me, travelling not directly behind me, but to my outside, mm. I thought that he had kicked me in the back on the way past me. Um, but when I got back to Sydney, Doctor Andrew Cree, the spine specialist. He had told me. He um, had told me that it's not um, it's not the horse behind you that has broken your back. It's the the actual um, the first time I hit the ground. The pressure of the the fall mm. basically, um, yeah, as you said, broke my first rib, cracked my sternum, punctured my lung, and then the pressure was so great it actually exploded out of my back. So that it's goodness me. Yeah, it's not not even. It's it's hard to sort of comprehend, but I was I was under the view that the horse had kicked me. That's what broke me, but it, yeah. it actually wasn't. It's yeah, it's like an explosion of pressure that went through my back. It had to go somewhere. Yeah, well, that's Dr. Andrew Crease told me. He said, yeah, it's just like a, mm. I've hit the ground and my chin and my chest that hard that yeah, it's it's basically yeah. the pre- pressure's like a bullet just exploded out of my back. Yeah. Now, Cor, you said you broke the first rib. That's the one right up behind the collarbone. And didn't the specialist tell you that that is a very unusual thing? Yeah, he said it's not impossible, but he said it's it's um, not not heard on very often. He said it's such a small bone, such a small, strong bone. Um, he said it doesn't, um, and it's protected by your collarbone. He said you don't very often hear that it gets broken, but he said it obviously I hit the ground with so much pressure that... Maybe it took a bit of the brunt before it got to my spine, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. But, mm. yeah, but um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's not unheard of, but it's yeah, very, very uncommon. Just before Christmas, you got the heartbreaking news that progress hasn't been as good as you'd hoped. 
and one of those screws has actually moved a little. Yeah, it's a little bit disappointing. I went for the CAT scan that they give me every six weeks just to, you know, monitor what's going on. And um, one of the screws, the top top uh, right-hand side of the two plates, um, the screw that's holding it on to my spine has started to shift. Um, he was obviously very concerned about that. Um, but then also um, at the back of my spine, really hard to explain, but um, where, where the explosion has happened is not sort of like right on the inside of my body, but at the back of my spine where the wings are at the back, um, it's not mending as well as what he wants it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two ways of operating when they do it. Is one to put the plates or the other one is to fuse it. Um, and the fusion is a bone graft that basically welds um, all the the, the uh, vertebrae together. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for me, what it does, it creates a weakness top and bottom because where they um, where they put the um, they call it fusion, it, it makes it so strong that it'll never break. But mm. top and bottom of that fusion, it's not weaker than what it normally is, but it does definitely creates a weakness mm. compared to normal. And there's no there's no um, it doesn't move, so there's no it, it can't sort of rotate or it can't shift and. There's no suspension in this, so to speak, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, suspension. Yeah, now, so, Damien um, Oliver had a similar situation, didn't he? Damien's actually got very similar to what I had. Um, he, he's he got, um, I think, about four vertebrae f- frozen, uh, sorry, fused together. Mm. So it, it, you definitely can ride, but there's no problem about riding with it. But mentally, I'm not sure how I'm going to go having that in there and yeah. And riding, so it's it's very disappointing because I thought we're going along all all smooth, and then yeah, halfway through the the ordeal, it's um it's gone to this. So it's disappointing, mm. but it's um you know it's not the end of the world. But it, yeah, it's definitely not what I wanted. Have you spoken to Damien? I spoke to Damien at length actually, um because I, I didn't realise that his was fused. But mm. um, I spoke to him at length, and he said that he'd um. He'd done the same thing as me. It played on his mind for a long while. Mm. Um, and he, then he had a fall um, after he'd had it fused and he lied on the track worrying about what was the outcome. But mm. he said nothing nothing actually happened. Um, so, yeah, look, it's not impossible, John. That's, it's not that I'm, I'm that worried about it, but it's just, yeah, I'd prefer it to be – I'd prefer it to be natural, you know, like and just have the, the spine that I started with even though it, had it, been, it has mm. been broken. I just, I, yeah, I'm not sure about it. When will you know, Corey? When will they make the decision? Uh, they'll, uh, they'll open me up again about April or May, um, mm. which will be um, basically ten months, nine or ten months since it happened. Mm. And if it if it has mended, they've got me on a steroid injection um, mm. every day. So hopefully, by the time they open me up, it's it's mended well enough for them to be happy just to leave me natural. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, which would suit you. Yeah, that'd suit me much better. But it, mm. when I'm under the anaesthetic, um, the doctor's already told me when he when he does operate, when he takes the plates out of my back, if it hasn't mended, yeah. um, basically I don't get a choice. It just, it, mm. it'll be fused. But um, he said the only good thing about it, when they fuse me, he said we won't have to use your bone, like they won't have to do a bone graft on me. They actually, they have the bone in the um in the hospital now they grow it somehow in the labs mm. so he said that he'll be able to put a piece of bone 
straight in there and uh, fuse them together. But when he fuses them together, there'll be about uh, it'll be from T the bottom of T three all the way through to um, the top of T nine. So mm. it's a fair it's a fair chunk of my back, but I won't won't be able to I won't get obviously full mobility. I'll probably have about seventy five to eighty percent movement in that you know like in my back. You know, it's not the first fall you've had and it didn't damage your dignity half as much as the one you had at Kempsey in 1991 on the occasion of your very first race ride. You were 15, you hit the deck halfway down the straight and no damage done physically, but uh, your pride was severely wounded. Yeah, well, you expect, you'd like to step out your first ever race ride and ride a winner, but um, yeah, mine was... Um basically skidding across me the winning post on my bum so i was <laughs> yeah it wasn't um it, it definitely hurt my pride but uh, i was lucky enough to get up and ride on the same day and yeah. pass the post i didn't pass the post first but i definitely passed the post on the horse <laughs> <laughs> well it was only a week later when you rode your first winner at kempsey again the horse was called another square i'll bet you've never forgotten him no, definitely never forgotten him. There's a photo. I haven't hung it up. We've just recently moved house, but I've, I've, I've got a photo of him. So, yeah, no, I'll never forget that one. You're from a family of jockeys. Your grandfather, Trevor, rode as an amateur. Your dad, Jack, rode a lot of winners on the Northern Rivers and a few in the city. Now, Jack lives on the Gold Coast, and you tell me he keeps himself pretty busy. Yeah, no, actually, Dad's going really well. Um, a friend of mine owns a... a kitchen company up there so dad cuts grant bench tops and stuff like that up at the gold coast and mm. yeah he's 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 a busy lad actually he's one of those blokes that if the factory opens at six o'clock he's there at five so <laughs> and yeah he's he's one of those style like old country style of people that loves yeah. his work but but no mum and dad are doing very well actually at the gold coast you were born and reared in wingham and your achievements have made you a legendary figure in the manning valley <laughs> You were deeply touched when the Corey Brown Cup was introduced at the Wingham Cup meeting at Taree a couple of years ago. You try to get to the meeting and you try to take some other Sydney jockeys with you. Yeah, no, it's actually, it's only been on for two years. Uh So uh, the two times that we've been up there, I haven't been lucky enough to win it yet. Um, But yeah, I definitely take a sort of a plan load of guys up with me, um, which was actually the meeting before I broke my back. So I went up there um, hoping to ride a winner or two. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely, you know, I was pretty chuffed when they they said they were going to name the race after me. So yeah, Mm. feel pretty privileged. You got Karen McAvoy there. It might have been two years ago, was it? Yeah, I took Kieran McAvoy up with me. Um, Huey Bowman hasn't been up there as yet. Huey and I are best mates, but Huey's um. Always had something on with the the likes of Winks being in, in work, <laughs> so mm. maybe maybe this year I don't think I obviously won't be riding, but maybe this year I can get him up there and and get him get him going around the wing. That unceremonious fall at Kempsey must have seemed a long way off when you won the Melbourne Cup on shocking in two thousand and nine. Now you'd run second on him in the Kunji, you ran second on him in the Herbert Power. But then Michael Rod got back on in the Lexus Stakes on Derby Day, which he won very easily. Yeah, it was a funny chain of events, actually, John. I, I, I'd ridden a horse um, in the Crawfield Cup, trained by Denny O'Brien, um, and I'd run third on him. Anyway, my manager at the time, Brett Grant, 
went straight out and said that I'd ride him in the Melbourne Cup, which I'd already sort of been riding shocking, knowing that he was going to get a lightweight mm-hmm. in the Melbourne Cup, um, and hence why I'd been riding him leading up to it. And then Mark Kavanagh got angry with me and had taken me off, but uh, the horse that I was riding for Denny O'Brien was so far down in the weights that I'd bring Mark behind my manager's back and said, please don't book a rider. Yeah. Um, for the cup because you know that I'll be riding him on come Saturday afternoon. That's when he said to me, he said, well, you won't be riding him Saturday. He said, I'm putting Michael Rod back on him. Oh. I said, I, I, I said, well, I don't care who rides him Saturday. I said, as long as I'm riding him on Tuesday. And it was funny because what happened, they kept telling me this horse, uh, shocking, had no acceleration, no turn of foot, so you had to get going on him at mm. least at the 600-metre mark. And when Michael Rod rode him on the Saturday, obviously – you know, not doing anything wrong, but they said, don't give him a tough run, excuse me, tough run. Mm. And he said, hold him up until about the 300 metre mark and then sort of release him, let him run to the line. Mm. Well, I think they, they found out the, the true way to ride him. And that's, he did have a turn of foot, but they'd just been taking the, taking the finish away from him. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, he won on the Saturday and then come out and was in fine fettle on the Tuesday and I was lucky enough to win it. It was a funny race score, the Melbourne Cup of that year. They went at a farcically slow speed. You got caught three wide all the way with cover uh, and you must have been wondering what Mark Kavanagh was saying under his breath. Oh, I, I don't know if he was saying under his breath, but I could feel his hands around my throat being three <laughs> wide. I know that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but, but you're right. Uh, the race was run, you know, really, really slowly and, the, all the horses that were inside me, you could see them pulling and, you know, jockeys were heads bobbing and stuff. So it was a really muddling race, but I was actually happy um, where I was situated because my horse was breathing really well and he was flowing along and um, he was comfortable and he was happy. And, yeah, again, you don't want to be three wide, but that day um, I, I think that was the place to be instead of being caught up in behind them and pulling and, just doing everything wrong. So, yeah, I was lucky enough that they went really slow. But um, then probably the 800-metre mark crime scene got pushed out off the fence, um, Kieran McAvoy and Godolphin's horse. Mm. And I was lucky enough to fall, sort of get onto his back and have, a you know, like a soft run for at least sort of a furlong and a half. Mm. Not that I needed it, but it was just when horses are covered up, they seem to relax a lot better. And, mm. yeah, it, it just sort of it probably made the difference in the end. It wasn't the last Group 1 you won on Shocking. The following autumn, you came out to win the Australian Cup on him. Looking at your scrapbook now, he was very good for you, wasn't he, Shocking? Oh, he was great. You know, like he's, um, yeah, you know, like I only won the, sort of the two races on him, but he, he was great for my career, obviously, one being the Melbourne Cup and then two being the Australia Cup. But it, it just came at a time where um, I was really starting to get frustrated. Like the year before I won on him in the Cup, um, I obviously run a really close second on Vigor, which was the most disheartening thing you can go through as a jockey, I think, you know, like to, to lose the Melbourne Cup by such a short margin. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was just a relief to come out the very next year and get on him and to win the Cup. So, mm. yeah, it was a bit of a, bit of a lifesaver, to be honest. Mm, that finished the, the previous year. Uh, it was a bee's knee. It took the judge half a day to semaphore the result. Yeah, no, it was it was it was an awful result too because it was quite funny. Again, like the, what went on on the day, like because of the saddle cloth numbers, they have the the, the beeper in them for the times, and because my horse was so small, Bower, mm. 
he he run a faster time the actual winner, but still runs second in the race. It was really funny because the number mm. cloth had passed the post before um, Feud's number cloth, mm. and it was just funny how like I'd run a faster time, but yet still run second in the Melbourne Cup. It was yeah, yeah. a bit of a train of events, but yeah, no, it was. Mm. I mean, and I had that nightmare for twelve months, obviously watching that replay over and over again. It was just, mm. yeah, it killed me. <laughs> You've figured in Melbourne Cup placings a few times. You rode Mr Prudent into second place behind Media Puzzle in 2002. Uh, back in 1999, you dead-heated for third on Lahar uh, behind Rogan Josh. The cup ride you won't forget in a hurry, though, mate, is your first one on a three-year-old called Arena way back in 1998. You nearly killed yourself to ride him at 475 you finished yeah. down the track, and it took you a fortnight to get over it. Oh, I reckon it took me a month to get over it, to be honest, John. Um, you wouldn't do that I, again? No, definitely not. Like, I, I can ride really light, but that was just – now that I look back, I was I was young. I was just way too keen to get into the race, and, yeah, I, 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 I nearly killed myself in doing it. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't suggest it ever to be done, but I, I – I only picked up the ride, obviously, on the Saturday after Arena won the the derby yeah. with Larry Cassidy. So I picked <laughs> up the ride for John Hawks, and yeah, it wasn't long enough to do what I'd done. Like I was, I was fairly light. I was probably about fifty kilos at the time, mm. but um, to to do what I'd done, you need, you know, to do it properly, you need, you know, a, a month or a good three weeks to mm. sort of do that sort of weight properly. Mm. So yeah, I was very silly, but I, I just couldn't wait to get into the race, as you can imagine. In 2011, you ran third on a German horse called Lucas Kranich behind Dunedin and Red Cadeau, and then came your second cup win in 2017. Now, this was a special one because your three daughters and your wife, Kylie, were all there together at Flemington to see this uh, remarkable achievement. It's the first time the girls had been to the cup. Yeah, it was pretty special. Like, um, obviously the girls, when I won it the first time, were quite young. So, you know, they, they watched it from the TV, but never they've never experienced the Melbourne Cup. You know, they've always been at home watching on the TV or having the day off school to, to be able to watch it. But to have them down there, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was definitely more special than the first one. And the first one was a relief, but... Um, but the second one on rekindling was, yeah, it was really special. All the girls and Kylie were there. So, mm. yeah, it really meant something. Let me have a crack at the girls' ages. I've got <laughs> Maddie, 22, 23. I've got Charlie, 20 or 21. And I've got Holly, 17 or 18. You hit the nail right on the head. They're actually the, the, the top are in, though. They're 23, 21, and uh, eight, or she's only about two days off 18, three days off 18. Goodness me. Yeah. Are they devoted Corey Brown fans? Are they aware of your day-to-day activities? Uh, they, Yeah, of course they are now. Um, they never used to be really. I mean, they watch the races, obviously, Kylie. She always watches. Um, she's always got this, you know, Sky Channel and stuff on watching what's going on through the day, and especially of a Saturday. But, yeah, no, um, they definitely know who I am now. So, um, yeah, no, they're, they're, I wouldn't say they're devoted fans, but they definitely know what's going on. Corey, I watched the 2017 Cup replay again the other day. I hadn't seen it for a long time. And, mate, it was a pearly. You must look back on that race with great satisfaction. I reckon it was one of your best ever. 
ninth on the fence, roughly, all the way to the home turn. You really didn't start to wedge your way from the rail until about the 500, halfway around the corner, and then you very skillfully nudged into the clear at exactly the the right time. He took a little while to round up Johan Vermeer, didn't he? Yeah, it's quite funny, John. Like I drew really soft, barrier four, um, but he, he's always sort of going to get a, the right run. But it was funny because on the day at Flemington, or actually the whole the whole carnival, really, you had to be you couldn't get any wider than four or five off the fence. The fence was like dynamite. It was just like a road. Um, you had to be there, and it was funny because I I followed um, Zach Zach Dynamite, ridden by a good mate of mine, Zach Purton, and. I could just read his mind what was happening. Approaching the home turn, um, old Hartnell, he comes sort of out off the fence and the, the moment he did, he was sort of uh, about to st- start searching around the leaders mm. and Zach, on Zach Dynamite, he re- he knew like to, the way to ride the track and he darted back to the inside and I'm thinking it's not the place to go, mate. Like he, I know he had a lot more weight than me, but... Mm. The moment that he darted back inside and it just sort of opened up for me um, to go with Hartnell and come around the leaders, I, I, I'd done no work and I had no weight on my back and, um, yeah, I just I, I took the opportunity. But ev- everywhere I pointed him, the, the runs just kept sort of opening for him. It just it worked out perfect. Mm. Well, looking at the replay the other day, it looked pretty. It looked very pretty. <laughs> no, I'll take the credit, don't worry. <laughs> You've ridden over 50 Group 1 winners in Australia and a couple in Singapore, and there was one magical Epsom day at Randwick in 2003. You rode four winners on the day. Three of them were Group 1s. You won a listed on Xana. You won the flight stakes on Unearthly, the ill-fated Unearthly. You won the spring champion on Niello, Lonro's brother, and you won the Epsom for Gerald Ryan on Clangalang. Now, there's a funny story about it, Cor. When you came out to get on Clangalang, um, connections were a bit concerned that you'd already won a couple of group once. Yeah, it was quite, it was quite funny. Um, I walked out to the enclosure. Uh, Damien Flower, the owner of Clangalang, he's quite a big, a big punter, and I'd already ridden the two group ones before. And I walked out, and he's he's just shaking his head because he thought Clangalang could win, and he was obviously wanting to have quite some money on it. And when I walked out, he's shaking his head, like really disappointed, and I, I, I didn't know why. And I said, well, "What's wrong?" And he says, "Well, you can't ride a third group one." And I said, "Well, why Clangling doesn't know that I've already ridden two? Why can't I?" <laughs> and it was so funny yeah. because he wasn't even sighted in the run, or wasn't really even called. Even I watched the replay, have seen it, and he, he wasn't even sighted until about I reckon the hundred and fifty meter mark, and then he, he got a small gap and he, he dove through and. So only he didn't win by a big margin, but it was just it was oh mate, it was one of my best days on race course. Oh, absolutely! I'd love it to happen again. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> on on Melbourne Cup, oh no, actually Derby Day in Melbourne would be great. Yeah. <laughs> now don't be greedy. <laughs> now, Cor, let's pay tribute to one of your all-time favourites. In fact, a favourite of the racing nation, an eight-time Group One winner. You had never ridden a horse for Greg Urell when he rang you to ride Apache Cat in the famous Lightning Stakes. I think you rode him in a quiet barrier trial, didn't you, before that race at Cranbourne? It's funny, you know, John, I'd, I'd never been on the horse and 
racing is one of those things where right place, right time. And Michael Rod had been riding him in Melbourne. And um, Michael Rod, uh, uh, an illness that he had, he, he sort of took sick. So ev- I think everyone else had sort of had rides or, you know, were booked for other horses. And Greg Urell rang and asked could I ride him. And obviously he's a bit of a cult figure even back then before he won all the Group 1 races because of his unusual markings. Mm. But, he, um, yeah, I picked up the ride on him and my first, five rides on Apache Cat were Group 1 wins. So mm. I, had a great, I had a great run running. And they were the Lightning, the Australia Stakes, the TJ Smith, the BTC Cup and the Doombin 10,000 by a very big margin. The horse had great crowd appeal and he knew it. He did know it. You know, it's funny how horses, you know, they, they know that they're um, – either very good or I don't know whether he knew that he was very good or he's he was very pretty. <laughs> but he um but he definitely knew that the crowd were there to sort of see him and he was a bit he was definitely a show pony, I'll put it that way. Like he you get on him and like you, if you've seen him just at the at the barrier trials or track work, he was, you know, pretty relaxed and pretty cruisy. But the moment he got to the races he knew that people were looking at him and mm. yeah, it was definitely you know, he, he's a good horse and he's he had unusual markings but um but yeah, he's definitely a character. Well, just pause for a moment on the podcast, Corey, to clear a commitment. Back with you in just a moment or two. Catalogue for the 2020 Classic Yearling Sale is now available. In total, 808 yearlings have been catalogued over three days, 613 in Book 1, 195 in the Highway Session. Book 1 will take place on Sunday, February the 9th, Monday the 10th, and the morning of the 11th, with the highway session beginning as soon as Book One is completed. The Classic Sale has produced eight Group One winners since 2018, including four Group One winning two-year-olds or three-year-olds in Sydney and Melbourne. Of the 808 lots catalogued, 734 are Bob's eligible. To request a catalogue, email catalogue at inglis.com.au or call 9399 7999. Catalogues are also available for the English Premier Sale in Melbourne, March the 1st to March the 3rd. The 2020 English Yearling Sale Round is about to begin. At the time you became associated with Apache Cat, You'd actually moved to the Mornington Peninsula under retainer to Lee Friedman. You were there about 18 months, and during that time, you and Lee had a pretty good trot. I think you won about 100 races for him. Yeah, no, I actually enjoyed my time. I um, I, I came home from Hong Kong, and um, Lee had offered me the, the, the spot down there with his stable bef- before leaving for Hong Kong, and then when I come home, he, he offered it to me again, and we decided to go down uh, Lee was sort of starting off again, and he was going to have a, a like a good, young, fresh stable. And um, we took the opportunity, went down there, and I had a good run in Melbourne. I really liked Melbourne. Um, we lived down in Mornington on the Mornington Peninsula, and the kids enjoyed it. Kylie enjoyed it. It was it was definitely a, a good chapter of our lives. Well, it came to an end, and for whatever reason, I think uh, there were a few anxious moments between you two, weren't there? Yeah, Lee's um Lee's got a mind of his own, as you would know. Um, and I'm pretty much the same. So we we sort of we banged heads a few times. Um, and then obviously Lee said, I think it's um time for me to move on. But in doing that, I think he he created a lot more opportunities for me. 
Um, but yeah, no, again, I really appreciate my time and Lee and I get along very well now. I've actually ridden Group One winners for Lee since I mm. since we had the had the split. So mm. it wasn't um, it wasn't ugly. Um, but yeah, no, we we just, it was just time to part ways. Before your stint with Lee, as you mentioned, you had a stint in Hong Kong, which came to an abrupt end when you tested positive to a recreational a drug during a random jockey's room operation. You got six months, core, and you're dirty on yourself to this day. Yeah, look, it's 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 not good because I was obviously wanting to, um, um, you know, like broaden my horizons and not just Hong Kong, but I wanted to go overseas and ride. And it just puts the mark against your name. You know, it's it's not good for your family. And it was hard time. It was well, obviously the hardest six months of my life. And I walked back to the racing game, obviously, you know, like not knowing or what to expect. Um, but uh, a lot of people, you know, like the everyone does, everyone does wrong. You know, it's just one of those things. I can't change it. But um, but yeah, no, it's 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 been a bright future since. So I I I need and complain. But yeah, no, I definitely wish I didn't have the mark against my name. In the middle of two thousand and eighteen, you were deeply touched and highly complimented to be invited to represent your country in the famous yep. Shergard Jockeys Challenge at Royal Ascot. You were thrilled a bit to be over there competing against the world's best on such a famous racecourse. Which team were you a part of? Uh, I was a, a part of it. Like, I, I represented the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I had the Australian colours on. But um, I, I, I've competed in a lot of jockey challenges. Um, I actually won one in Mauritius one year, but there's nothing like going to, to Royal Ascot for the Shergars Cup. That's The whole day is done around the jockey challenge where normally you'd go to the, a race meeting and they'll have three races or more. Um just for the jockey challenge but this whole day uh, there's like six races and it's just all about the jockey challenge so it's it's very very exciting um i didn't i didn't figure in the placings or anything i didn't get a great draw with horses uh, but but no it's definitely uh, something that i wanted to do and yeah i've been lucky enough to achieve so joey marrera was in the series yeah he's a great jockey joey um he's the reason that i landed in singapore i um went to Singapore for a you know, sort of a four-week working holiday and no one had known at the time but Joe was on his way to Hong Kong and Joe asked would I like to stay and sort of take up his position in Singapore with his horses and owners and stuff so mm. yeah like he, he's he's very good he's a great jockey Joey. Your media involvement began a few years ago on a popular Sky program called Off the Rails hosted by Greg Radley with the one and only Malcolm Johnston as your co-presenter. You always look to be enjoying yourself on that show. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was a good bit of fun, you know. Like, um, obviously, I've done lots of interviews before uh, with yourself and other people, but it's it's quite different, John, as you would know, sitting on the other side of the microphone asking the questions. But um, but I thoroughly enjoyed myself. It was a really uh, – it was great. I think we've done about three years or three seasons on it, but – yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was good fun. And Miracle Mal can add a bit of spice to the conversation, can't he? Oh, as he always does. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, Ch- Greg Radley. Greg Radley is one of the best people that I've ever worked with. He, um, he's a great guy, as well as Malcolm. But Greg's behind the microphone. He's an absolute champion. I, I, I love his work. Yeah, a great professional, Greg Radley. No doubt about it. 
Channel 7 and Racing.com both took advantage of your availability during last year's Spring Racing Carnival and uh, you were in the studio and at the race course and it was impossible to tell you were recovering from a major spinal injury. You looked very fresh, very good and very focused and it took your mind off the negatives for a few weeks. Yeah, no, it was good. I, I um. I was lucky enough when I did hurt myself, I had a few people contact me wanting me to, to sort of work or if I wanted to, you know, do something while I was off injured. And, yeah, I, I jumped at the Channel, Channel 7 opportunity and I do, I do like it. I think, obviously, after my riding career, that's where I'm going to end up. But um, I definitely want to get back to riding, John. As long as it takes, uh, I definitely want to have another throw at the stumps on horseback and then, again, yeah, I'll definitely end up in the media. Now, Corey, despite the extent of the injury and the long layoff, you haven't considered retirement for one second, have you? No, definitely not. Not at this stage. Um, it, if I if I have to retire, um, I'll accept it. But um, until I have to, yeah, I, I definitely I definitely want to ride again. There's no doubt about that. Mm. I've always had you down as a Robert Thompson of the future. <laughs> I just always had the feeling that you'd be you'd be still be punching him around in the Tari Cup in your fifties. <laughs> I'm not sure Kylie will allow me to do that, but um, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely stretch it out as long as I can. But old Robbie Thompson's a marvel; like he's he, he he'll he'll outdo any jockey, um, you know, and he's still riding very very well, Robbie. So I take my hat off to him, and I've always got I've always had. And we'll have a lot of respect for him. He's he's done really well, but oh, I think I'll leave that to him. I don't think I'll be as going as long as he's. He's an absolute marvel, isn't he? And I mean, if if they want him at the Townsville Cup or the Mackay Cup or the Kalgoorlie Cup, he can't get there quick enough. No, nah, that's correct. He's he's a he's a he's a great man, great jockey, and um, yeah, he's he's an old marvel. Put it that way. You're an old marvel yourself, son. <laughs> At 43 years of age, with many more winners ahead, Cor, really appreciate your time. Good luck. I hope the uh, specialist decision is the one you want most of all in a few months' time. Excellent. Thanks, Taffy, and thanks for your time. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.